Hey, welcome to Simply Faithful, your place for Christian conversations without the hype. My name is Eric Tunges. I am the pastor of Grace Central Church in Omaha, Nebraska. And I am Gray Ewing. I am the pastor of Ascension Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Here on Simply Faithful, we like to have conversations about life and faith and following Jesus that you can continue in your own lives and hopefully grow from as you walk with him. I want to say welcome to all of our new listeners. been hearing some folks saying they're listening for the first time or catching up from the very first episode. And so to you all out there who are doing that, welcome to the show. I've heard that too. And I have to resist the urge to go back and listen to some of those early episodes to see how embarrassed I should be. But Right. The cringe factor. Eric, I want to have a particular kind of conversation with you today, something that's been on my mind. And I want to think about, I want to give advice, so to speak, to the person who is wanting to grow in their ability to give wise counsel. How we should, as a church, help each other, what kinds of things are appropriate for us to say to one another, and what is maybe less helpful. And I want to start with a scenario that I have in my mind. It's a it's a small group. Maybe you're eating dinner together. Maybe you've switched into the discussion mode, and you're meeting together, and you're talking. Uh, you're updating each other on each other's lives. Maybe this is a prayer request, and someone begins to share about their work. Maybe they're, how hard work is, how how much uh, their boss is really just a terrible person or, you know, why they're they're being missed for opportunities uh, like promotion opportunities, something like that. Basically, they're talking about how bad work is. And there's a moment there where we as a spiritual community, we have to decide how we're going to approach this. And perhaps they're asking it in spiritual terms, like, what do you think God would want me to do? Or how should I approach this spiritually? The thing that I want to talk about today is this. What I think we often respond with is by giving advice or giving strategies or offering some kind of support uh, verbally, all of which are very good things to do and all of which are important to do. But I wonder if it's the same thing as godly counsel. And just to speak for a minute more, and I want to hear your thoughts on this. I am not somebody who wants to give a hard differentiation between some of these things. I think sometimes it's just good for Christians to give other people advice. I mean, that's that's a good thing to do. But I do wonder if sometimes we just jump in and give advice rather than giving godly counsel. On the other hand, I don't really think that godly counsel has to always be this moment of spiritual connection where everybody's praying and everybody's just saying, just ask the Lord and he's going to reveal it or something like that. It can be also very practical. But I guess take what I'm saying and, and draw out from that what you think I'm getting at here, because I think there's a tension there between advice and just like giving people uh, something to think about and also giving some kind of wise and godly counsel. Yeah, I think that I'm a little suspicious of the distinction you're making, actually. But let me, what I feel like you're, the tension you're feeling is saying like, what's the difference between a group of Christians sitting down and figuring out should you move houses or should you get a new job or how do you handle this situation with a coworker? You feel like there should be a difference between Christians doing that and the way that just like, you know, if a bunch of bros or on a girl's night out or whatever, some people got together at a bar and were having a few drinks and they weren't followers of Jesus and they were having the same conversation, that it should go a different way or look differently. Is that sort of what underlies the tension that you're feeling? That's part of the tension for sure, that we should think differently about counsel and advice. But I also think there is something else going on, which is that oftentimes we want to fix people's problems with like, 
Should you just, uh, yes. you know, do a better job or, or present yourself more, be at work, say, if that's the issue, should you just be more aggressive or something like that? And it can kind of quickly go into advice column on like Vice Magazine or something mode rather than like, let's think about this spiritually, scripturally. And again, I, I am suspicious of the distinctions as well, because I totally think it's legitimate to say, hey, you just need to work harder sometimes or something like that to someone else. So I just want to explore that tension a little bit. Maybe to talk about that tension a little before we get into some of those other things. I think the tension I feel is that I would just say that wisdom is wisdom wherever you find it. That's sort of principle one. But principle two is that the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, which is simply to say helping you know what is wise or discern wisdom is something that Christians and non-Christians can do. And you can learn good things from them. And, you know, parts of the book of Proverbs seem to have maybe even been borrowed from surrounding cultures, things like that. But on the other hand, since wisdom is about living well in the world, and this is a world created by God and designed to work in certain ways, Christians should be including God and his workings and his design for the world and the activity of the spirit and all of that in the wisdom that they give. So it's going to look somewhat different. And I hope that's not jumping the gun, but I think that's maybe the root of the tension is that there is a difference, but I'm not sure. Now we can talk about giving that counsel because I do think you're right that there's a lot of issues with how people give it. That is actually where I want to focus. So if we have time, maybe we can get to the receiving of counsel. And I agree with you that when you receive counsel, you shouldn't say, well, they're not a Christian, so they probably don't know what they're talking about or something like that. I'm talking about how do we become the type of people that give godly counsel, that give counsel that's more than just advice column, you know, dear Martha, you know, kind of letters to the editor where you're like, I have this situation and you're like, here's the best way from a worldly perspective. I do think there's a way that Christians can be informed by the scriptures and be godly with their counsel. And I kind of want to speak to that. No, I think that's fair. So how do you want to start that conversation? So to start it out, Eric, let's uh, let's just dive into what the scriptures say about godly counsel, because the scriptures do speak to this and speak to, you know, that we need each other when it comes to living the Christian life. And so maybe I'll start with you. What comes to mind when you think of how Christians are supposed to inform one another and where do you find that in scripture? Sure. So a very obvious place to start when we're thinking about especially questions of getting wise counsel is the book of Proverbs, which is full of statements about how we need wise counsel, first of all. So lots of like Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel over and over in Proverbs. You get that sense of don't be foolish, don't be stubborn, don't be intentionally ignorant, instead be open to hearing good counsel from people around you. And so you definitely have that theme in the book of Proverbs. And alongside it is an encouragement to give counsel. There's lots of statements like in Proverbs 27 about the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. That's supposed to encourage you if you're going to be a good friend to give good counsel to people. There's also this idea, particularly in Proverbs, about more counsel leading to better outcomes. Now, that's not strictly true, just like the Proverbs are not strictly true in every single scenario. They are situational wisdom. But generally speaking, it is true what Proverbs says, like, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. That's Proverbs eleven fourteen. So in general, it's better to spread out the wisdom amongst many people. I would also just say, Eric, that there's this principle in the New Testament of us being the body of Christ together and that having a function of wisdom. I think about passages where Paul says that uh, fathers need to be speaking to younger men and the older women in the church need to be ministering to the younger ones. 
And you can't do those types of ministries without words, right? Without counsel, without speaking something to them. Also, Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so we have a speaking function with one another that we need each other to grow into Christ in every way. Yeah. And you also, I think in the New Testament, even at times get glimpses to that kind of advice, just in very practical ways. I think, for example, about some of the endings of the letters of the New Testament, where you'll have these specific notes to like these two people to work through this issue or telling Timothy it's, you know, go ahead and take a little wine for your stomach troubles, things like that. There is that sort of personal specific advice. And I think it's maybe worth noting here. That's really the sort of counsel that we're talking about. Because I think it's important to divide between part of godly counsel is just telling the truth in its universal ways. So if somebody is thinking about having an affair, part of godly counsel is just saying, don't have an affair, (laughs) you know, don't commit adultery. But I think what we're really focusing on, if I'm hearing you right, is more the situations that are like, should I marry this person or not? Then they are something that's clearly laid out in scripture, where obviously there's certain biblical parameters. And like, if that person is married, the answer is still clearly no. But there are lots of other scenarios where there's real discernment and you can't necessarily say with a simple command from the Bible, yes or no. Yeah, I really think you're right about that. And I think that it's really important that we not picture godly wisdom as some kind of music playing in the background or like emotional experience or only something that can happen after you pray over it seven times you know, or or something like that. That's certainly not what I was picturing when I thought about wise counsel. It sometimes is very practical, but I want to make sure that it's coming from a godly place. And that's one of the things that the scripture says wisdom comes from the wise, right? So it is the source matters. Uh, that may be another biblical pen that we could stick in this. The source of what is wise counsel matters. So you have to take that into account. So let's picture a scenario like you just mentioned, Eric. Somebody wants to marry someone and we've ruled out all the obvious no's or yeses based on scripture. So in other words, they want to marry someone that's not already married. The the person is a Christian. And uh, that maybe that can be a you know a scenario that we have in our heads, but it, we don't have to stick to that explicitly. What are some of the principles of giving counsel that you think are important boundaries? So I'm going to be a wise counselor to this person. What are the limits of that? The principles of doing it well. What are some of that, those that come to your mind? Sure, I would say that the first principle is not to start giving counsel right away. Um, on two fronts, because there's two things you should almost always do when you want to start giving advice before you start giving advice. The first is just to check yourself and make sure that they're asking for advice. So for example, maybe not with the, should I marry this person? But the like, man, we're having some struggles in our relationship. Sometimes those conversations are just the person needing to let off some steam to just, you know, express frustration. Now that can become sinful and there's, you know, there's complexities to doing that in a God honoring way. But I think that's also fine at times. We need to be able to just sort of say, man, I'm struggling with this or this is hard for me. So in that scenario, don't jump in and say, well, I think you should do this, but instead just listen. And secondly, also, and this will probably carry over as we think more about it, a big part of being wise in scripture is not being quick to speak. It's a lot of proverbs about that. So I try to discipline myself when I'm in those scenarios to start asking questions before I start giving advice. I don't always succeed about at that, 
but it's way better to just ask follow-up questions, ask for details, ask for what they think or what they feel like maybe they should do, things like that, and start to interrogate the situation. And interestingly, sometimes that will lead to wisdom without you having to give any counsel at all, as the person just has sort of a sounding board or someone to talk through that with. And at the end of it, even if you then speak into it, you're just a lot better qualified to speak into it. I can't count the number of conversations I've been in as a pastor where someone wants advice on something. And at the beginning of the conversation, I think I know what they need to do. But then as I ask questions and get more information, I'm actually, by the end of the conversation, going to end up giving very different advice than I would have at the start because I had assumptions in play that were distorting my perspective. Yeah, that humility is so important and recognize that even even after 10 really good leading questions, right, that you're asking well and you're listening to the answers, you're still coming into someone else's life having not lived their life, right? So there's always going to be a boundary, a distance between yourself and the person that you're giving counsel to. And you almost need to just begin with respect for that and respect for the fact that you're not God and you can't always speak to every situation. So another big warning that I want to issue at the front of of any kind of conversation where you're having counsel is to realize that you may not be able to land the plane. You know, you may not be able to give them the advice. If they say, this person seems right for me, uh, but I'm also thinking about this other person, you can't come into their life and just say, well, it's this person and not this person. That's not something that you can do. And so I think it's important to say there are some situations where you cannot give counsel. And when you reach that point and you know that you're kind of reaching into an area that isn't yours, that's probably the place to stop and just pray with them. Because prayer is something we can always do with anyone. So in other words, uh, if someone has a tension, but you can't solve the tension, then you just go with them in that tension in prayer to the Lord. And it may not be satisfying for them or for you, but you know our personal satisfaction in this situation is not the only thing that we're going after. Yeah, let me just name one related scenario to that is there's times when it's just outside of your expertise and you shouldn't speak to it. There's also a lot of times where godly wisdom is really just you get counsel and you arrive at a point where you just have to choose. And it's a good outcome of counsel. But we talked, there was a episode I remember we did like a year or two ago where we talked about kind of finding God's will. And, you know, one of the things we named in that episode is that there can come a point where you just recognize that you're within God's sovereign will as long as you're, well, always, but you're within God's will in a way that's good for you as long as you're seeking to follow him and be obedient to him. And there will be times out of that that you will just choose and be left with a choice. And wisdom is often just helping people arrive at a point where you say, one, both of those actually seem like really fair options, and I can't tell you which of those to do. And two, probably then you just have the freedom to choose. And so a lot of godly advice in those scenarios is more like just make a choice rather than telling them what choice they ought to make. Especially if you're a spiritual leader of some kind, that will at times be frustrating to people because people don't come with that assumption that God's will is something that can be explored with some amount of freedom. And we did go reference that podcast if you are uh, wanting a better look at that. But both Eric and I believe that God's will is not something particular, some kind of code, right, that you need to figure out. And so be prepared if you're the one giving counsel. At times, people will be frustrated that you're not telling them exactly what God's will is. But often in those scenarios, you should maintain that. There's one other part of what you said that I want to kind of highlight, Gray, which is that that thought of you're not as able to discern 
as they are. I want to kind of double down on a specific part of that, which is that so much of wisdom involves some real complexity. And I think we're going to a little bit later in the episode actually talk a little bit about some guidelines like how do you help people sort of discern some of that wisdom more practically. But there's a level of complexity where oftentimes there's almost like an instinct or intuition or sense of a lot of balancing details that you have to work through together. So often, rather than hearing someone give you a five-minute summary of a situation, and then you think that you are as qualified as they are to solve it for them, one of the best things you can do is just ask questions about how they're making the decision and try to help them think through how to be wiser in making the decision while not actually trying to discern what they should decide. That often it's sort of giving them tools of wisdom and then saying, look, you're better qualified than I am to apply those tools to this specific scenario. So, you know, try to figure that out and instead talk through those questions about principles and about what are your priorities and things like that. Yeah, you can do that with certain types of questions like what makes you feel like the choices between these two things or, you know, what makes you say that that will happen necessarily if that other thing happens. You know, it's like almost analyzing their process rather than analyzing their situation. I like that. That's a that's a good word. I see that a lot in questions of like gifting, for example, where they'll want to know like, should I do this thing or this other thing? And you ask them some questions about like, well, where do you feel like you're gifted and where are you most going to flourish? And, and then you just kind of turn them loose to figure out those answers rather than thinking that then you need to tell them where they're gifted and what they should therefore do. All this is making it sound like you can't ever speak something direct, which isn't true. We're just kind of putting these careful boundaries around it. But, you know, the scriptures talk about a good word at the right time. It's like precious, you know, it's like apples set in silver. It's like this beautiful array. There is a time when a wise person can say something directly to someone. There's just a lot of things that need to go in before that happens, usually. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just that you want to say that humbly. And so when that word comes, if it's not something that scripture clearly says, for example... You don't put it thus says the Lord on it. You don't have your word from God that, that you then communicate to them. And it's, I think part of why we're so reticent here is because especially for pastors, one of the traps you can fall into is giving all of the advice and giving every thought that you have as if it's something that you're getting directly from the Bible and therefore is binding on people and you don't want to do that. But yeah, I think that part of it, especially if people are getting counsel from a number of sources, which you can also encourage them to do, is just cast your vote. You know, I mean, or just register like, I think I would do this if I was in that situation. It's just always with that humility. One other thing I want to talk about, Eric, is the tone of your counsel with someone. And we've kind of danced around this a little bit. But, you know, part of wisdom is knowing what role or, you know, in what relation you are to someone that you're giving counsel to. And the scriptures speak about these different roles. So for instance, when I'm thinking about my children, and I, you know, you do have to give counsel to your your children sometimes, by the way, not just directives. That's an important thing. Sometimes you're helping them work through something. And I think that's increasingly true as they get older. But the way that I speak to my children ought to be different than the way that I speak to my wife, you know, with counsel. And the way that you speak to a friend may be different than the way that you speak to your father or your father in the faith or your actual father. I think we need to be sensitive to these roles. 
you know, there's some overlap. For instance, pastors are referred to as fathers in the scripture. And so there is a sense in which pastors can speak to even those that are older than them with some amount of fatherly wisdom. But even then, I think there's just a lot of care that needs to go into that. I think so, too. And I think that part of that, too, is just honoring in all of those relationships, the other person's intelligence and agency. And this is something that I've realized in terms of tone that because I tend to be a very definitive person that people can actually feel like I'm not providing space and honoring, you know, their own intelligence and their own thoughtfulness and things like that. And so working to communicate, not just in terms of the specifics of your relationship, but also just respect and honor to them as a person when you're giving counsel rather than coming in and just sort of being like, well, you know, little one, let me enlighten you. Yes, indeed. I would say also on on this front, while we're just issuing some more warnings, that we really need to be careful when we're giving counsel that we don't get wrapped up in the outcome ourselves. So it can be very tempting when you see someone else's predicament or their tension or their question. And to you, it makes more sense than to them for whatever reason. Like you think, well, obviously you just... You just dump this boyfriend or you choose this career path. It's it's a better situation for your family. Why wouldn't you, you know, why wouldn't you choose that for your family? It's very easy for those who are giving counsel to see more clearly, at least we think, the other person's situation. And then on the other end of that, if the counsel is rejected or it's just ignored or they do the opposite thing, to get wrapped up in that personally and think, well, they didn't receive my counsel, they did the wrong thing. That's that agency thing at work again. They are in their own story. We respect their processes. You know, being the people of God and giving counsel is an advisory role. It's not something that uh, other people have to listen to all the time. Yeah, I've got to say, too, I've been convicted over the years of how much there is a deep pride that comes in when you see those scenarios and you just think, oh, I know better than you what you should do, especially when it's complicated scenarios where you're balancing different concerns or things like that. And so often, really, the clarity you think you have because you're an outsider exists more because you're importing it into your story and your experiences, and you're not really seeing that person or their situation. You're just imagining some situation that you had in the past that you have an opinion about and then sort of transposing it onto them. I still fail at it, but I try to be really wary of that sort of pride that just says, oh, I I can look in with clear eyes. I'm going to say another thing, and I this is where we're going to get close to the woo-woo Christianity. Godliness is this this thing with, with the musical pad playing in the background and where you have a clear direction from the Lord. I'm going to risk being a little bit on that side to say what I'm about to say, Eric, because I do think it's important that in spiritual conversations, we turn the other person's attention toward God. So that's not to say that what they need to do isn't practical or isn't direct. But I think oftentimes what Christians get hung up on is in trying to control a situation. So in other words, their tension is, I need to know exactly what I need to do with my life, or I need to know exactly who I'm going to marry. And it's very easy in those situations to leave any kind of spiritual perspective at the door, just trying to figure out what to do next. And I do think without, you know, abusing this and without making everything spiritual, we can say, what do you think the Lord is doing in this situation? Or how do you think he's leading you to grow in this? So that it's like we're just acknowledging that God exists and that he has good plans for our lives. And I think that that can get lost sometimes when you're in the tension of making a decision. But what what do you think about that? No, I agree. What I would say is that one of the simplest ways 
And this kind of fits into how I think about wisdom and, when I, and trying to grow in wisdom in general. But one of the simplest ways you can do that is simply to recognize that often in as much as someone needs correction, it's because they're focused on things outside of themselves rather than on things within themselves. And so that like frustration with that boss or coworker or neighbor, sure, there might be some advice you can give in how to engage the person or how to navigate that situation. But often the more helpful advice and questions you can ask are about the person you're talking to and sort of why does your heart respond that way? What would it look like to be Christ-like in the way you engage with this person, you know, and, and to cultivate sort of Christian virtues in your interactions with this person? And that inevitably then gets into questions of that are more explicitly spiritual. Because once you start probing into our hearts and our ways of carrying ourselves in those situations, you need the Holy Spirit and his fruit, and you need the gospel and you need those resources to come into play. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. The only person that you can change is yourself. That's not just true psychological advice. That's also you know, what the scriptures speak to, which is that we're responsible for our own actions and even responsible for our godliness before others who are treating us poorly. Uh, we're not talking about abusive situations or something like that. Uh, that's a different thing. But when we're talking about people that mistreat us on some level. Well, you're still called to be godly in abusive situations. That's just you right. draw boundaries and protect yourself as part of godliness. Yeah, correct. Uh, but the, the posturing is different with the other person is what I meant. But oh, yeah. yeah, when you have a bad boss, you know, there's nothing in the scriptures that say you can't have a bad boss for your entire career. You know, in fact, you know, we're, we're told that we're going to suffer and it may be even on account of your faith. It may be that you make them uncomfortable or something like that. And uh, so we're not trying to escape tensions when we give counsel. Sometimes we're telling people to live right into those tensions. Great. Let me, before we leave this topic, come at this from a slightly different angle, which is that when I think about specific situations where people are asking for wisdom or where I feel like there's a question of wisdom. And again, this distinction that we're making is that wisdom is something different than situations where we can just clearly say from the Bible, this is right or wrong or whatever. I have come to use this kind of mental heuristic, which I'm stealing from Oliver O'Donovan and I'm butchering because he's way smarter than me. But it's to say, usually our questions, there's kind of three areas that we need to probe to be wise, which is we need to probe the self, first of all. So you're kind of asking sort of like, who am I? Do I know myself? Do I understand my motivations? What virtues need to be in play? What kind of person is this choice going to cause me to become? So you, you ask questions about yourself. And then there's questions about the world, which isn't about like, how do I fix the world? But it's just really making sure you're understanding the world and the circumstances and what's in play and what sorts of things practically are going to affect you in the outside world as you think through this scenario. And then there's this question of time, which is to say that within those things, you're also thinking about, is this me thinking about 20 years from now? Is this me thinking about tomorrow? What are sort of my goals and long-term plans in the world? What, what does it look like to take the next step? Oftentimes people get stuck on wisdom questions because they're trying to figure out something 10 steps ahead of time when it's instead it's just like, how do you, what does it look like to, to do the next thing in this process? I often find myself thinking about for myself and other people when you're wrestling through moral or prudential questions to just say, okay, how can I ask some questions about self? How can I ask some questions about the world? And how can I ask questions about time? Does that make sense? And I'm not sure if that is helpful to other people, but but it's a thing that I find myself doing a lot. It's really helpful, I think. And it's deep. I mean, it depends on how deep you want to go with somebody on something like that. But I really do think that there is a lot of wisdom picking up on that last one, especially. You know, there's a lot of 
books out right now and podcasts and such that focus on doing the next right thing. That's a phrase that has taken on a lot of uh, clout with people. And I think it is a good phrase, the next right thing. And that's often what wisdom is, is helping someone be faithful for the next few days or for the next few weeks to answer the bigger questions like, how do I find the person that I'm going to be with forever? Or uh, how do I remain faithful to that person for 40 years? It's like it takes 40 years to figure out how to be faithful to that person for 40 years. There's just, there's no shortcut. Well, and if the person asking that is single, for example, like really the next question that they, you know, they have to wrestle with is like, how do I find a decent person to go on a date with? Right. And in some ways, stressing about questions like, who will I marry at that point is not helpful. So yeah, that's, that's a big part of the time thing. But I think all three of them are in place. So like the example I would give is just to say, for example, let's say someone has financial questions and they're coming to you with questions about their finances. And so the sets of conversations that, you know, you try to have with them is first of all about their priorities and about virtue and generosity and self-control, kind of those self-questions. Secondly, you have conversations about the world. And in terms of finances, often, frankly, that's just about very practical stuff. Like, do you know how compound interest works and, you know, (laughs) how to save money and how to write a budget, things like that. And then the third question is sort of, where are you in that process? And what does the future look like? And how can you be thinking about your goals, you know, a year from now, five years from now? And what do you have to do this month to start moving in that direction? And so, yeah, you can do it there. And you can do that, obviously, to much more complex, nuanced, moral questions that people wrestle with as well. Yeah. And the only thing that I would like to add to that is those are all spiritual questions too, right? Right. And so there, there is a level of analysis where it's totally fine to just go through and make sure that somebody knows what compound interest is. And, you know, some people just need somebody to sit down with them and show them how to do a budget or, you know, whatever it may be. But when we're talking about godly counsel, I don't think it's wrong for us to put in there you know, what the scriptures say, because it's not as though the scriptures are opposed to these questions, right? It's, oh no, you know, the scriptures talk about the wisdom of saving and, you know, the wisdom of investing. And I just think it's important for us to uh, not sideline, you know, a scriptural perspective or to make it so much about, you know, the will of God in some kind of vague sense that we never get down to practical details either. Yeah, the two fit together. All right, Gary, with that said, we're going to leave the discussion on giving wise counsel here. Hopefully, this hasn't been completely foolish to everybody. But we all, we're going to end today just like we do every week, which is that given that all wisdom is God's wisdom and we live in a world that he has made full of good things, we always like to finish the show by asking, what's good? And so, Gray, I'm going to ask you today, what's something that's been good for you lately? Yeah, we're only going to lean in today, Eric, into... Not so much what's enjoyable, but something that is good. And I've been listening to a record recently. I wonder if you've heard uh, Marcus Mumford's self-titled album? Uh, No, I have not sat down to listen to it. I'm aware that it exists. So Marcus Mumford is most famous for being a member of Mumford & Sons, which you can be a fan of that or not be a fan of it. I was for like two months when it first came out, and it quickly got very old for me. But if you like Mumford and Sons, or if you don't like them, I think either way, you should still check out this new self-titled album from Marcus Mumford. And it is a hard record to listen to. So if you haven't heard, this is his exploration of sexual abuse that happened to him uh, early in his life. And it does have an explicit warning on the label. So go ahead and tell people you're going to hear some language on the album. You're going to hear some thematic things about his experience as a child. But let me tell you why it's been good. There's just a maturity 
in his wrestling with this that I think is so lacking. If you don't know, Marcus Mumford is uh, at least in his words, a, a Christian artist. He is. He grew up in the church. And actually, he's very explicit in interviews that I've heard him talk about this, that the abuse did not come in the context of his family or the church. It was something other than those two, which I really appreciated as a pastor, him making that distinction, because people would probably assume that it was connected to his Christianity. It's just a really mature exploration of some of these themes. He has been through a lot of counseling. He is able in the album to talk about things that are explicit and that are hard in a way that is not just glorifying in it or just throwing up onto the sheet music, so to speak, about his, about his experiences. Also, he wrestles with forgiveness and what that looks like. And I appreciate that he actually tries to go there, but he doesn't do so in such a way that says... It's simple, you know, that the that the forgiveness is simple. And so I just really encourage you to listen to it. You know, don't listen to it with your kids in the car uh, for the first time. It will it will be a hard album for you to get through, but it's also really, really beautiful. And uh, I want to play just real quick the first minute and a half of a song called Stone Catcher. And this is actually in collaboration with Phoebe Bridgers, who we've featured on uh, the show before, but she's doing the harmonies on this. It's just an amazingly uh, beautiful song and haunting like the whole album is. Who am I rambling at my reflection in the rear you light following a stranger praying for a fight or the strength to get back on my knees again this light glowing neon in the corner of my mind burns and burns but leaves no warmth behind I kinda wish you'd just done it in the dark oh my god So that's Stonecatcher by Marcus Mumford on the album Self-Titled, which came out just a couple months ago. I recommend you go check it out. Not because it's enjoyable, but because it's good. That's good, Gray. No snarky comments from me on that one, and I'll definitely give it a listen. With that said, friends, it has been good as always to sit down and have the conversation with you. I hope that you will continue this conversation, maybe seek to give some wise counsel with friends and if you think this dialogue that we've been having is helpful please share the podcast with them yeah check us out on instagram we're at simply faithful pod we also are everywhere that you listen to your podcasts and so we'd love to be represented well on those podcast streaming uh sites so please do consider giving us a review that would be a great gift to us with that said friends this has been eric i'm great it's been simply faithful 